The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gildas Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 170 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. There is a quote that's sometimes attributed to Mark Twain or maybe Confucius that says, if you love what you do, you will never work a day in your life. After meeting today's guest, ESPN reporter and cancer survivor Holly Rowe, I think you will agree that the quote should be, if you love what you do, it is the best medicine for what ails you. Let me tell you a little bit about Holly. She joined ESPN on a regular basis in 1998. Holly primarily covers covers college football, men's basketball, and softball as a reporter, as well as the NBA and WNBA. She has also provided play-by-play commentary for women's college basketball, softball, volleyball, and gymnastics. In addition, she's covered soccer, swimming, track and field, and the Little League World Series of Baseball and Softball for ESPN. She plays a role in ESPNW's coverage of the sports she works on. Previous to her tenure with ESPN, Holly provided play-by-play for women's college basketball and women's college volleyball for Fox Sports. Holly is also an Emmy-nominated producer and writer of documentaries and features that have aired on KBYU-TV, ESPN, and Fox 13 TV in Salt Lake City. In 2015, Holly was diagnosed with desmoplastic melanoma, a rare form of skin cancer. She is still in treatment and is dedicated to educating others about the risks and the advancements in treatment. Welcome to the show, Holly. Thank you so much for having me. This is so, so wonderful. Well, we were so pleased to have you at our gala in New York in April. It was such a treat, and we had a great time with you, and I was so glad that uh, you agreed to come onto the show to talk to our listeners today. Um, before we uh, jump into the, the meat of our discussion, Holly, um, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm, I, I'm in such a weird place because I'm, in, I'm currently in treatment. I've had a, a new tumor in my lung for the last year, um, but the good news is I'm doing well, and I go every 21 days and get infusions, and, you know, you just kind of plug along, and it's a little bit of a grind, but, you know, I don't want to complain in any way because I'm, I'm living longer with a tumor in my lung than many people have, and I'm just grateful for every opportunity I have to keep on going. Terrific. Terrific, Holly. 
So I think this next part of the discussion will maybe feel like you're giving your doctor your medical history, college, but uh, <laughs> I want our I want our listeners to hear your story a little bit. Your cancer really is such a rare one, um, and I want to make sure our listeners understand your diagnosis and sort of the context um, of your journey. So why don't you take us back in time? Tell us what led you to seeking medical attention. What, what were your symptoms? What caused you concern? Uh, vanity, complete girl vanity, because. <laughs> I was uh, I had a suspicious mole on my chest, and I went and got it biopsied, and they said there was nothing wrong with it. So, oh, I don't know, about a year and a half later, um, the, the scar where they'd taken the biopsy just kept bubbling up and getting bigger and bigger, kind of looking like a bigger suspicious mole. And I didn't do anything about it because I'd had the biopsy. They said it was nothing. I thought that was just the scar. So I was wearing this beautiful evening gown as I hosted the Ole Miss uh, Rebel Awards on the uh, Ole Miss campus um, in 2015, and I had this beautiful sheer overlay dress on, and this this lump was popping up on my chest, um, you know, just below my collarbone. Um, in the dress, and I was like, well, that's weird. That that lump is a lot bigger than I thought. That mole is a lot bigger than I thought, or the scar, whatever it was. So I went in to my dermatologist and said, I'd love to remove this. This scar hasn't healed right. Can we cut this out? And he's like, well, it looks weird. Let's biopsy it. So they did a biopsy, and I was walking down the street in New York City. I'd just been to a college football meeting for ESPN, and he called me back and said, it's cancer. And I was like, no, no, no. we just mm. biopsy, you know. I, I was just really so stunned. Um, I stood in the TJ Maxx in New York City, and I was like, I'll never be able to come in this TJ Maxx ever again, which is devastating because it's a good one. But, <laughs> you know, I just couldn't believe it. So I did a surgery. Um, they said they got the tumor, that there were clean borders. And so I really didn't do anything aggressive. I did ask if I should get radiation or anything like that, and they said no at that point. Um because they felt like they had gotten clean margins. So about six months later, they had done um, taken lymph nodes from under my arm to test on if it had spread, and it had not spread. But the scar where they had taken the lymph node didn't heal right, and I, again, I just thought the scar wasn't healing right, and it turned out to be a new tumor. And mm-hmm. so it, it had spread, just not in the time that we had caught it. So um, I guess my biggest frustration through this entire process is that I never was alarmed. You know, I never was like, oh, this has got to be something. I'm going to go get it taken care of right away. I I think back in horror, like, what if I'd gone and gotten that, you know, what I thought was a scar checked six months before, maybe I wouldn't be in this situation. So I think that's one of the reasons I'm really adamant about sharing my story is we all wait. Every one of us listening to this program has something mm-hmm. suspicious that's been nagging at them that they've wondered and then they think, oh, it's probably nothing. And I just can't encourage people enough that the worst thing that could happen is that you go in and the doctor says, oh, it's nothing. The best thing is that you go in and they've caught something early that will prevent more serious issues down the road. So, um, Last August, I found out I had uh, I had that surgically removed, and they kind of had to take out my whole armpit, which I have this lovely, gorgeous new armpit that I really detest. Um, <laughs> it's it's a it's a whole other story. We don't have time for that story, but um, you know, and it was hard. I had to have these drains stitched into my side. I was trying to work on television with these drains stitched into my side for six weeks. I had to have this you know little fluid pack 
where they're getting the fluid out of you. And I'm like, if coaches that I'm interviewing right now in these games could see what's hanging around my neck under my sweater right now, like it was just so surreal, you know, to try to work and be on TV with, with all this medical stuff and your body is just not your own. I looked like a cyborg, I think. But anyway, um, mm. then last August, um, I got some bad news. I had another scan, which was just a routine follow-up scan after the surgery to make sure everything was going okay. And I had um, one large tumor and I think three small ones in my lung. And I'll never forget this. The nurse at the time, I overheard her say to somebody, well, she's lucky. This used to be a death sentence. And that has just really resonated with me because I don't think I have understood this entire time just how deadly melanoma is. And and so if, if people can get one message from me today or two messages, it's get things checked out that you're wondering about and take everything very seriously because I didn't know how deadly melanoma is and how quickly and pescally, it, you know, I don't even know if that's a word, but it, it, it travels and it can go anywhere in your body once it is into your um, organs and your bloodstream. And so catching it before it reaches that layer is, is just crucial. So I am now in this clinical trial at the UCLA Medical Center. And it's, um, I can't even say the name of the drug, it's Pembro is the nickname for it. Um, but I'm in a clinical trial and I'm very lucky because I'm getting great care. They're doing scans routinely and my tumor is shrinking. And I had an interesting conversation with one of my doctors and he said, you know, every seven years oncologists have to go through and take these tests to make sure we're up on everything. And he said, when I took my test six years ago, not a single drug that I'm using today to treat melanoma was available. Mm. And so I just think how lucky I am that in this day and age, when I happened to get a tumor in my lung, there was a drug that had just recently become available that is making my tumor shrink. I mean, it's just overwhelming to me because there's a lot of people who have died from what I've got right now. And right now I'm hanging in and, and keeping strong and this this new immunotherapy, which is cutting-edge research, which is changing the face of how we treat cancer, you know, heck, it just might save my life. And it wasn't even around years ago. Yeah, it's really the, the rate of progress is really exponential these days, which is certainly the great news for so many people who are being diagnosed. In fact, thousands of people being diagnosed today uh, with cancer. Certainly the news is, 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 uh, is better than ever. Holly, I know that um, on the immunotherapy drug that you're on, you're participating in a clinical trial. And I know a lot of people have sort of skepticism about clinical trials. We always try to let folks know, hey, look, you know, trial a trial may be the best treatment option for you. You really should ask about it. You're not, you know, in, in all likelihood on a cancer treatment trial, you're not going to get a placebo. You know, you're going to get treatment. Um, and, and again, you're monitored very closely. Did you have any hesitation uh, about a trial? And how has it been being on a clinical trial? Um, I, I didn't. My I've been on two now. So my first clinical trial I was on, I got... Um, Oh, there's a fancy word they call it, where they put you on a path. I've got chosen for this path, and I had to do high-dose interferon, which if anyone has done that, it is it is just, like, devastating. So I did 30 mm. days of interferon, and it's literally the hardest thing I've ever been through in my life. Mm. Um, and, and what we know now is that that wasn't effective at all in stopping the spread of this. And so I, I, why that clinical trial was important is that maybe for the next person coming down the road, they'll realize, hey, let's not put this next patient through that. 
because we know it's not as effective as some of the other drugs out there. So I kind of look at this altruistically of my clinical trial information is going to help somebody behind me. So A, I'm getting great care. Um, the cost is incredible because my I think my drug right now, it would be somewhere around you know $150,000 to be taking this drug, but I don't have to pay for it being on this clinical trial. And that's saving my life financially. You know, if you think yeah. about the impact that would have on me. Yeah. have to pay for that. So I, I really recommend clinical trials. I mean, it's not scary. They're, everything's laid out for you. You can leave it at any time in most of the clinical trials. And I like to look at it as I hope that whatever I'm going through is going to make the next person that's diagnosed or the next person that has my same situation have a better experience. So, so that's very important to me. Yeah. Holly, we've got about a minute till our first break here. Um, we're, we're already digging into some, some deep topics, but I heard a rumor that you walk up to complete strangers and tell them to cover up from the sun. Is that true? I've become the crazy sun lady. And I, I can't help myself because I, you know, I work in sports and I see people sitting out in the stands, particularly my college softball people, and they're out there just baking their skin and they think that suntans are good. And I just, you know, the, the NCAA was so sweet. They let me do this whole public service thing um, at the College World Series about covering up. I wish someone would have shaken me by the shoulders 20 years ago, so I'm not going through this today. So I'm trying to be that lady shaking you by the shoulders. <laughs> yeah. I think it's uh, I think it's I think it's great advice. I was just at the beach last week and I was uh, like a little old lady sitting under the umbrella with the cover up on and the sunscreen on and telling all my family cover up, cover up, cover up. So um, I think we all have to <laughs> take responsibility for uh, you know for that role and those of us who know uh, and and just the fact that we are so aware these days and that we have sunscreen and we have these things available to us that were not available to us when we were uh, when we were kids. I think is um, it's a, you know really making some great progress. We're talking today with Holly Rowe. Uh, she uh, joined ESPN in 1998 and she covers a wide range. Uh, of sports, she uh, is uh, is uh, battling cancer right now, and she's here to tell us about uh, her own cancer experience. To talk about the importance of, of covering up and, and and protection when it comes to uh, melanoma and a whole host of other topics, especially having cancer in the public eye. We're going to take a quick break here, and we will return to frankly speaking about cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355. 
or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is being brought to you in part by AstraZeneca and Lilly Oncology. I'm Kim Tebaldo, and with us today is Holly Rowe. Holly is a highly respected sports reporter for ESPN. She's also a cancer survivor, currently in treatment for desmoplastic melanoma, a rare form of skin cancer. Um, Holly, I've noticed that you've taken as little time off as possible for your treatment. You talked in the last segment about being sort of on the field, having, you know, drains, um, uh, you know, in your body and and, uh, just shortly uh, post-surgery. You've said that your work is really the best possible therapy. What is it about sports and sports reporting um, that's had such a positive impact? Well, first of all, I grew up, you know, kind of a tomboy and just loving sports, every single thing about sports. Um, I, I'm obsessed. And as I've been going through this cancer battle, I've had some colleagues that have also had cancer with ESPN, and they've taken time off, and that's wonderful. But I am the kind of person that I need goals. I need things to look to. And so when I was first diagnosed, um, I set a few goals like, okay, I want to get back by then, or I need to be back by this time. Because I just know that my personality, that's how I respond the best, is having things in the horizon to shoot for. And um, I think that on the days that I'm off and I'm sitting around by myself at my house and putzing around, I think about having cancer. And I worry about things and it's, you know, you're anxious and there's a lot that goes into this that you have no control over. And that's a that's a scary feeling, you know. You're you're trying to plan your life out, and you have no control. And so the things that I can control is finding joy in everyday life. And the things that bring me joy are going to games. And you know, every game, someone is winning or losing. Someone is overcoming adversity. And I just can't even tell you how inspirational that is. I was just sitting here in my hotel room watching Wimbledon. And, you know, I'm not working it, I'm not involved, and I'm just brought to tears by this this woman, Joe Conta, becomes the first British woman in 49 years to make it to the semifinals at Wimbledon, and I'm just in tears. Oh. You know, so sports stories and people overcoming things have always touched me, and I'm just in this lucky position that I get to do it for a living. 
so it, it's been one way to help keep me busy, um, keep my mind off of having cancer and all the scary, you know, stressful things that come with that. But it also gives me unbelievable joy every day I go to work. Yeah, there really is a sort of triumph of the human spirit element in sports, isn't there? That's uh, oh. there's so much to to translate to the to the cancer experience. Were you were you always a sports fan? Were you an athlete before you became a reporter? Yes, I was. Uh, my dad raised his girls like we went to sporting events. We loved sports. We played every sport you can imagine, and it just was such um, a part of the fabric of our family and our life. Like I still, my sisters, I'll call my sisters like, "Oh my gosh, did you see that play?" Or they're texting me about, "Oh my gosh, did you see what that quarterback did?" You know, so it's part of our our women's culture in our home, which is unusual because I'm 50, my older sister's 54, you know, like that wasn't how women were back in the day. So I have to really thank my dad, Del Rowe, for making us love sports because it's brought me a lot of joy in life. But you're right is um, I do learn stuff. So I'm I'm interviewing and dealing with some of the greatest coaches of all time. So Gina Oriyama, who has led UConn women's basketball to 10 national championships, um, they won 111 games in a row. I mean, this is one of the all-time greatest teams ever. And to sit there and listen to him talk about overcoming adversity and what you do when you're down and how to be a better person through adversity. I, I steal these speeches he's giving to his basketball players and apply them into my own life. Um, I actually stole, they, they gave me a little video that UConn players watch before every game about hustle plays and how to hustle and get the ball and keep the ball from getting stolen out of bounds and all this stuff. And I watch that before I go into treatment because I'm like, I'm going to go in there with the best fighting spirit and fighting attitude. You know, so I'm stealing a lot of these lessons from sports and using them mm-hmm. to motivate myself in life. And uh, Gino gave me a bottle of wine called Mount Brave. And, and the day I'm free from cancer, I'm going to open up Mount Brave and have a great toast to Gino and some of the great lessons he's taught me. Mm-hmm. Tell our listeners what that means, hustle plays. Hustle, that means, yeah, if you're not a sports person, it means you're diving on the ball, on the ground to get a ball before it goes out of bounds. You're the player that's going to do everything you can to save the ball before it goes out of bounds. Or if if there's a deflection, you're going to steal that ball and go to the other end and score. And so it's going above and beyond the extra play or what's normal in basketball and making that hustle play, mm-hmm. that extra effort. And, and I kind of love to live my life like that. Like I'm a girl that lives on hustle plays in life. So, you know, that helps me mentally as I'm there, you know, getting getting in my infusion and being at the hospital. And, you know, on the days where I'm a cancer patient, I, I try to have these really positive mental images of, of how I'm fighting and what am I doing to be strong and how other people are helping me be strong. Well, Holly, I grew up in, in, uh, in Philadelphia with three brothers, so... Need I say oh, more you about the? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, my, my my mom uh, a few years back had a double knee replacement, and she was coming out of uh, surgery, out of anesthesia. She opens her eyes, and the first words she says to my dad are, "Bert." Did the Phillies win? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, you know, it is such yeah. a part of our life. It's passion. It's winning and losing. You know, it's just everything to me. So I, I love it. Yeah, and and in Philly, certainly part of our uh, local identity. That's uh, that's for sure. Oh, for sure. Uh, so, so you know, Holly, I, I know that sideline reporting can be, you know, pretty physical. I mean, I, I've heard you, you know, you've pushed past crowds, you've climbed over tables, you've even held up exhausted players just to get the interview. So what makes a good sideline reporter and, and uh, what makes you a good sideline reporter? 
Hmm, great question. I think that maybe some of that goes back to the hustle plays, is you have to yeah. hustle. I mean, the football field is big. You're covering two teams on each side. Um, you've got to be moving. I had a security guy once that was with me, so he went everywhere I did in a college football game, and at the end of the night, he had one of those, you know, Fitbit or Apple Watches on, and he said, wow, we went six miles tonight. Oh. So... <laughs> You know, you do have to be in good shape. And, you know, to be honest, there were times last season I did struggle through the season because I had just, uh, it's so weird, I just had a lung biopsy 11 days before the college football season started last year. Um, And I didn't really want to tell anyone because I didn't want my bosses to worry about me or not let me work. And and so I was really nervous about working my first college football game because I just didn't know what kind of shape I was in and how I would handle the heat. It was Texas, Notre Dame in Texas. Mm. And it went into double overtime and I was dying, but I was like, oh, I made it. If I can make it through this game, I can make it. And so week by week, I would just try to walk extra and get stronger and... Um, you know, football is probably the most physically grueling of all the sports I do just because of the size of the field and how I'm trying to kind yeah. of hustle around from sideline to sideline. But um, again, having that goal of like, I'm going to be on the sidelines. I have to be there. I love this job. I don't want to give it up. That keeps me going. So like I've already started walking extra miles every day, um, trying to get my stamina and health up and everything, you know, because college football is about 50 days away right now. And I want to be on the sidelines. But, you know, I know it's going to take work to be there, um, but I want to be there. So, so Holly, I know, you know, we talk to a lot of folks who they just don't want to talk about their cancer experience. They don't want to reveal it to their employer maybe to their clients that, you know, you, you are a very public figure and not only are you dealing with a, you know, major, uh, major employer in ESPN, but you've got fans, you've got athletes, you've got coaches. So why did you decide to be so public about your cancer experience? You know, it's really weird. I never consciously decided to be public about it. What happened mm-hmm. was, <laughs> um, uh, you know, my boss had said to me, when you start missing games for this surgery, what do you want us to tell people? And I was like, Oh, I don't, you know, nobody's going to care if I'm missing games. I didn't really think anything about it, so I didn't do anything. So the day that I went in for surgery, I was in my um, pre-op waiting room, you know, in my hospital gown with my behind flapping in the breeze, and every single person that would come into the room to talk to me about things or get me to sign papers or draw blood or whatever, they would say, are you that Holly Rowe from ESPN? And I was like, oh, that's weird. I didn't think this would be a big deal for anybody, you know. So while I'm sitting there, I texted our PR gal at ESPN and said, hey, just wanted you to know I'm having surgery today, da 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 And I literally just texted her like a little paragraph because um, I, I started thinking maybe people were going to be more interested in it than I realized. And when I woke up from surgery, I was in my hospital room, and there going across the bottom line, it's like one of the scrolls, you know, that CNN does at the bottom with breaking news, was Holly Rowe has surgery. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, sometimes you don't always control your story or realize exactly how it's going to spread. So I didn't go in thinking I would be public about it. But in retrospect, I think everything's happened exactly the way it should have because I've gotten a ton of support from coaches and players and people that I work with, you know, that's been amazing and has uplifted me. But secondly, it has allowed me a platform or kind of an opportunity to tell other people about what's happening. Because if we don't talk about this, we're not helping anyone. 
you know, I wish someone would have told me three years ago, four years ago, five years ago, melanoma is serious. At the very first moment, you have got to go after it. You've got to be aggressive. You know, I wish I knew more about melanoma going into this, and and people could have done that for me. So I'm hoping to, you know, I I always go on like, oh, I hope I'm not sharing too much information. You know, people are going to think it's gross to hear about your drains or your armpit or whatever, but I think that being real is important. You know, I think being honest and letting people know what challenges you're going through and what you're overcoming, if that can help someone else, that's huge. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, Holly. Holly, we've got a quick minute until the break, but were you ever, because you're so public, were you ever sort of worried about, oh my gosh, what am I going to look like? What's my treatment going to be? Is it going to affect my appearance? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I might need to save this for after the break because it's a funny long story. But, um, you know, my hair came out and I was bald for my first college football game. And so I was wearing a wig. And the very first college football game practice I go to, it's 106 degrees. And I decide not to wear the wig to practice because I'm not going to be on camera. Matthew McConaughey is at the Texas football (laughs) practice. And I meet Matthew. He gives me a hug, a kiss on the cheek, and I'm bald. And I'm like, well, there's my life summed up in this one moment. Like, if it's going to be something ridiculously funny, here it is. You couldn't write that. That's hysterical. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking with Holly Rowe, ESPN reporter and cancer survivor. We're going to take a quick break. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Don't go away. We'll be right back. We have a lot more to discuss with Holly. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Insight Corporation, 
NovoCure, and Taiho Oncology. I'm Kim Tebaldo, and our guest today is ESPN reporter and cancer survivor Holly Rowe. She's covered college basketball, football, volleyball, gymnastics, softball, swimming, track and field, and the Little League World Series and the Women's World Cup. It's no understatement to say she is beloved by the sports world and sports fans alike. Um, so, um, so Holly, you talked a little bit about the fact that you sort of went into surgery, um, not really thinking about how you wanted to share your own cancer story and woke up from your surgery and there you are on ESPN, uh, uh, you know, sharing that. So were you, were you prepared for that? Did it feel like a, a relief to you? Were you a little bit nervous about what the impact could be? You know, it all happened so fast, I didn't have time to think about it too much, because there it's going across the bottom line, and when I woke up from surgery, I think I had something like 284, 384 text messages. Um, So it did cause a big reaction, but it was really beautiful, and I don't think I understood, you know, the impact maybe I've had in my career on other people. Mm -hmm. I don't want to cry about it, but it was really cool. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That, that's awesome, Holly. And I, yeah, and and I, I read in another article, Holly, that a team gave you their their office to use to rest and recover when you were in town covering a game, which is just you know just so thoughtful. I mean, I, there have to be there have to have been so many moments over these years that have really surprised you in terms of the magnitude of the support, hearing from your fans, knowing that you have this incredible fan base. Has that really helped to kind of raise you up in this journey? It has, and they have just been these really beautiful, private, kind of sweet moments, like um, a few that have meant a lot to me. So I'm I'm doing the Women's College World Series last year, and I was just coming off that 30-day stretch of hard chemo, and I did not feel great, but I wanted to be there. And so the Oklahoma Sooners um, team had a big sign for me in their dugout, and their athletic trainer had my own little bottle of Gatorade with my name written on it, and the coach... Patty Gasso would come and hand me the bottle before the game and be like, we want you to be drinking, make sure you're okay. And I'm like, here's this woman trying to win a national championship, and she's worried about me. That is precious. And, you know, I've tried to walk this line of, it's hard because I'm supposed to be being an objective journalist and not getting emotionally tied to these teams, but it, it has meant a lot to me that they view me as kind of part of their family and that, you know, I'm one of them and that they're going to support me. Um you know, just so many really precious, uh, kind moments like that that just mean the world to me. The Washington Huskies were the ones that let me use their locker room, and they said, see you in Oklahoma City. And sure enough, they made it to Oklahoma City, and I did get to see them there for the World Series. Um, the Utah softball team, the UCLA softball team has come and visited me at my home before my treatments. Um, I, You know, I hate to leave anyone out. The Kansas basketball team has been so sweet to me. The Iowa State basketball team, the men's team. Um, but but so many people have just done small, kind, thoughtful little things. And, you know, that's something else I would want to pass on to people who are listening is sometimes when someone close to you gets cancer, you feel kind of overwhelmed. Like, I don't really know what to do. I can't control your treatments. I can't control how you're feeling. But what meant the most to me and what I have continued to try to do to other people around me who've been diagnosed with cancer is small, thoughtful, kind gestures. They mean the world. They mean the world. So um, that, you know, someone driving me to treatment, someone offering to come sit by me at treatment, um, you know, just little small things just make build, build up and make a big difference. 
I think that's good advice, Holly, for, you know, our listeners, um, because a lot of folks say, you know, I just don't know what to do and I'm afraid to do the wrong thing or I'm afraid to say the wrong thing. And I, and, and I, you know, I've heard patients and survivors say, look, you can't say the wrong thing, you know, just, just reach out, just, uh, just, you know, be in touch. And I've also heard folks say that they're as surprised by who hasn't reached out as they are by who has reached out. And it's so, true. Yeah. It's true. And, it, you know, since I've been going through this and saw how kind and lovely and wonderful people have been to me, I've been a better friend to other people. You know, mm-hmm. I have had two or three good friends diagnosed with cancer since I was. And so it is my mission in life to be the person that is there and thoughtful and thinking of them and send flowers or send a, a card or be, you know, be that thoughtful friend because I have realized how much it means. And, you know, it doesn't have to be expensive or cost money. It can just be small, thoughtful gestures. But, um, you know, that's what I hope to do for the rest of my life is be be thoughtful and kind to other people who are going through this because it's hard. You know, it's really hard. Yeah, yeah. So have you ever thought to yourself, man, <laughs> this is too much? Balancing work, balancing travel, being in the public eye, dealing with treatment, dealing with clinical trials, you know, what what, what keeps you going and, and what do you do to kind of relax and step back a little bit? Um, well, I'm ridiculous. I go to games. So when I'm not working games, I go to games. Um, <laughs> I know. I'm so ridiculous. Like on my days off, I there I was at the LA Sparks game, you know, just because I love their team. Nice. So nice. I go to games. But um Oh, that's such a great question. Um, I had a, I, I'm almost embarrassed to tell this story, but I want to because last week I had an infusion. I had treatment. So I had to go to the hospital at 7 in the morning. Um, you know, it's the day after the 4th of July. 7 in the morning, I'm at the hospital. I'm getting my labs drawn. Um, they can only draw labs in one arm because my other arm, all my lymph nodes are gone. And so it's always a struggle to find a vein and they're digging around in your arm. And, and I was just feeling sorry for myself. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sick of having cancer. Well, in comes this little man who's maybe late 60s, but he's on a scooter because his back, he's kind of got scoliosis and his back is um, bent over and he's got a broken arm and then he's wheeling in to get his labs drawn because he's also got cancer. And I just started crying and I was like, stop feeling sorry for yourself. You are a healthy, strong woman who can handle this. There's so many people that can't handle it. You know, like think about what's going right instead of what's going wrong. You know, it was just like, wow, I feel so bad that I got down because there's so many other people that have it much, much worse. So I'm trying to really focus on, okay, this is hard, but I'm doing great. I'm doing well. I'm going to make it through this. How can I help lift up other people? Yeah, yeah. Um, Holly, I know the V Foundation has been very helpful to you, and my friend Susan Braun is the head of that foundation. Oh, I love her. Who who they are, what they do, and how they've helped you. Yeah, it's really important to me. So this week is the Foundation, um, the SBs, which people probably will watch on TV on July 12th. But it, the V Foundation is actually involved in so many things. When I got cancer, my friend said, I'm going to put you in touch with Susan Braun. And she got me a doc, uh, an appointment. They they actually scheduled my appointment with this melanoma specialist, Antoni Ribas at UCLA Med Center, who's one of the top melanoma doctors in the country. The V Foundation got my doctor's appointment. And, you know, that is no small thing to me because he's busy. He's one of the most busy doctors in the country. And that he would see me and take me on as a patient has meant the world to me. 
And so they are hands-on, they're funding research, they're funding doctors. You know, um, the V Foundation is huge, and, you know, this would be a very special week if people um, wanted to reach out and learn more about that at V Foundation, the V Foundation on Twitter. They are just so, so worthy of what the work they're doing. And, I mean, I can't put it too simply. They're, they're helping save my life by getting me into this doctor, into this clinical trial that's um, shrinking my tumor. I mean, that's, it's black and white. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, they're a great group, and Susan's a terrific lady, and I've been honored to know her for many, many years, so I'm really, really glad to hear that. Um, So, Holly, I know that, obviously, you know, the treatment, the path you're on, you've had your ups, you've had your downs, a lot of things change, you know, future's uncertain. How do you go about sort of each day? How do you think about sort of short-term and long-term in your life? such a good question because it's the constant battle I think that you're fighting as a cancer patient. I think sometimes you pretend you don't have it and you don't think about it and you just keep going about life and then you find yourself like, why am I caught up being worried and stressed about life and work and insurance and all this stuff when I need to be enjoying every day. So it's this weird balance. Um, And so I just had this epiphany a couple of months ago that all I can control today is to wake up and find joy. Is is there's going to be something today that's going to bring me to tears, that's going to make me laugh my guts out, that I'm just going to be like, that is a special moment. And I'm going to live for these moments every day. And so I've started keeping a little joy journal. Um, and my, my joy stands for just open your heart. And just, just open yourself to whatever your experience is going to be that day. Um, and so I'm keeping my journal. Every single day I write down what my joy moments were. And, that, and then I go back and look at it and I'm like, oh, I forgot what a great moment that was. That was so special. And so it's keeping me kind of centered in the present, enjoying every single second of beautiful opportunity that I'm getting in my life. And, and keeping the fear and the anxiety about what's next and the unknown at bay. And so, so in terms of the, the, uh, the trial that you're on now, tell, tell our listeners just for a moment before we go to our break here about the trial. How often do you go? Is the medication you're taking, is it oral or IV? Are they yeah, getting scans done? What is so that I like? Go- yeah. Yeah, it's um, so it's Keytruda. You might have seen commercials happening now on TV. This drug is kind of getting bigger and bitter, bigger. Pebro, oh, I just can't ever say it right. Pembro, it blah, 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 something like that. <laughs> I think that's so. The I go every term, twenty-one yes. days and have an infusion. So it's like a chemo infusion. You go in, kind of sit in a lazy boy chair, and they hook you up to an IV. Um, it takes about an hour total, and then every six or nine weeks, I'm getting scans. So I'll have a CT scan next uh, in two weeks that will let me know what size the tumors are. And so it's really, um, it's good and it's bad because I have seen absolute shrinking and movement in the tumor. And so that's, you know, for me being a goal-oriented person, I love that. I'm like, let's go tumor, get out of here. Um, (laughs) uh, You know, I imagine it breaking it up with not, you know, like chopping it up. I'm like, let's get out of here. So it's funny, but the, there are some funny side effects. Um, so itching and a skin rash is one of the side effects. So I, I wish I could tell you I'm joking, but I'm not. I have a little oyster fork in my bag right now that I stole from Pa Rain's restaurant in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. One day I will pay them back. And I keep this little <laughs> oyster fork and just itch myself everywhere. And I'm just laughing. I'm like, if people really knew, like they see you on TV as a sports reporter, but they, they, they really knew all this stuff you're going through, whether it's the drains or the new armpit or the shaved head or the skin rash 
you know, like behind the scenes stuff you're going through. It's pretty hilarious. So I I love that. Yeah, I love it. Otherwise, I love that you're so open about it, Holly. I really do. We're going to just jump to a quick break here. Um, we've got more to cover with Holly. And Holly, I want to jump into the melanoma topic uh, after our break. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer, it's a lonely word terms I don't understand, choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you a breakaway from cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Bristol-Myers Squibb, Celgene Corporation, EMD Serono, and Takeda Oncology. I'm Kim Tebaldo. We've been having a great conversation today with Holly Rowe. She's a highly admired sports reporter and Emmy-nominated producer and writer of documentaries and features. In 2015, she announced that she had been diagnosed with desmoplastic melanoma. She's committed to raising awareness of this rare form of skin cancer. Holly, I just, I'm going to take a moment to share with our listeners just a couple of statistics uh, about melanoma. It's uh, only, although only 1% of skin cancer cases are due to melanoma, it's responsible for the majority of cancer deaths, about 9,000 every year. Cases of melanoma doubled between 1982 and 2011. Over 90% of melanoma skin cancers are due to sun exposure. And according to the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, 20% of new melanoma cases could be prevented with comprehensive 
skin cancer prevention programs. Holly, I know you're really committed to raising awareness, to educating people about the importance of that um, of that of that skin protection. So, prior to your diagnosis, what did you know about melanoma? How steep was your learning curve, and how are you using that knowledge now to educate others? Well, I came from an era where we would lay out in the backyard on tinfoil with baby oil. Baby oil. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah. Awkward. Yep. We yep. went to tanning beds, um, and, and it said right on the tanning bed, may cause cancer, but of course you never think that's going to happen to you. So I guess you live in this state of denial while you're young because you've got this young, beautiful, healthy skin, not realizing it's the only skin you get, and the damage you're doing is subdermal, it's lower layers that then come out as you age. So... I just want, I'm going to drop a couple more statistics on you because I think they're shocking. So melanoma is the number two cause of death between ages 18 and 35 for young women right now. Mm. So just think about Mm. that. Young women, Mm. 18 to 35, they should be invincible. And melanoma is killing them in record numbers. Um, And it's because of sun exposure. It's because we think we're going to be the lucky one that doesn't get skin cancer. So, you know, I just can't strongly enough encourage, um, you know, whether you believe in global warming or not, what you should believe in is that our ozone layer is thinner and the sun is stronger. And actually the, um, um, the government just declared the sun a carcinogen because it is so strong and deadly right now that it's, it, it is a factor. And so, you know, I sit in my oncology waiting room, and I hope this isn't too graphic, but I do want to scare people a little bit of mm-hmm. I'm sitting in the waiting room, and a man will walk by, and the whole side of his head's gone. Like, he's had melanoma on his ear because we never think to put sunscreen on our ears, and, and then it's gone to his brain, and it's gone to his cheekbone. Um, I met a man who had a, a lip transplant. I met a man who didn't have his nose. He was wearing, like, a nose patch because mm-hmm. um, his nose is gone because he's had melanoma on his nose. Like, I just can't tell people how, how important it is to wear hats, put sunscreen on the top of your ears, the top of your scalp, the back of your neck. Um, and if we can prevent even one case of melanoma from people listening to this and being like, oh, my gosh, Holly Rose scared the heck out of me, then I hope we do. Um, because we just think it's never going to happen to us. And I was just like that. I was just going to suntan and be more worried about my tan. And I, nothing I've gone through through this cancer treatment, all the surgeries, all the chemo, all the stress, no tan in my life is worth this. So um, I just can't be more yeah. stringent enough about cover up in the sun. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, we used to get sunburn on the, in the part of our hair. Yeah. You know, we had two braids and we had we would get sunburn and would would look like we had dandruff cuz we'd be peeling in the uh in the part of our hair. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. here's one last statistic just is yeah. one blistering sunburn in your childhood before you're 15 increases your chances for melanoma 50%. One mm. blistering sunburn. And mm. I remember the doctor saying, "How many blistering sunburns have you had in your mm-hmm. life?" And I was like, "Oh, too many okay. to count." Yeah. Yeah, me too. Too many to count. Too many to count. Um Holly, so you know, I know we're talking. I know we're talking here about prevention, but I know you're also uh, a, a, a great advocate for um, detection. What do you want our listeners to know about detection? 
if I, I mean, I know that there's going to be someone listening to this that it's, yeah. has that thing that they've been waiting, waiting to see what happens. Like, oh, that one thing on my back or that one thing on my leg I wasn't sure about or that one thing that looks weird. Go get it checked out. So when in doubt, check it out because we, we just never know. And it might not be melanoma, but it might be basal cell. cell it might be squamous. There's a lot of skin cancers right now. And so um, I think we all sit around like, oh, it's nothing. Well, Sometimes it's something and it's pretty big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that is great advice. Um, Holly, we're getting to the end of our uh, end of our show here. Y- you've um, you've just been so upbeat and positive and full of, of zest for life, but you've also publicly admitted to feeling fear, feeling uncertainty, feeling vulnerable. What is your message today to our listeners who are facing a cancer diagnosis? Find what makes you positive and joyful and live in those moments. You know, I, I, I would really recommend this this wake up and find a joyful moment today and document it because the overall anxiety and stress of living with cancer can tear you down. And, and maybe it's not the cancer that gets to you. It's the depression or it's the anxiety or the stress. Um, there, there is a way to be stronger than the fear. And I don't always live in it. I have my moments of being afraid, but I find a way back to the joyful place, whether it's things that I get to look forward to. I, I'm in Seattle today. I'm going to go out on a shoot with Sue Bird and Brianna Stewart, two WNBA stars. They're going to show me around Seattle. That is so joyful, and I'm so glad that I'm not letting cancer prevent me from sharing moments like this and being at games and doing what I love. So, you know, it, it, trite and all the the sayings and the bracelets, I sometimes get frustrated like how trite we treat cancer, but it is a fight. Like you have to get up every day and decide to be better than it and not let it control your life. And and it's hard. I know it. I don't want to sound preachy. I know it's hard, Um, but get up every day and find something that makes you joyful and live in the joy. And for our listeners, Holly, who who have that, who have that spot or have that lump or have that concern, and they say, "Oh, it's going to go away. I just don't want to, just don't want to deal with it." What do you say to them? Go get it checked because every day I think about what if I'd gone in sooner. What if that one spot on my chest I had gone in sooner? I would not be fighting for my life right now. Just think about that. If I hadn't procrastinated, my life wouldn't be on the line right now. And that makes me sick to my stomach. And so um, get it checked. I just can't tell you enough of anything suspicious. Get it checked. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's I think that's great advice. And I we really try to let folks know that that early detection is so key in um, in, in potentially, you know, being cured and living longer. Um, so we certainly encourage folks to get in there and really listen to your body and and, uh, you know, don't be afraid of that. I, I, I can personally say that in the past two or three years, I've had about 17 things removed from my skin and all have been, you know, sent off for, for, to the lab. So um, you got to get in there and just get it done. It, it's, it's, it's not fun. Because it's um, easy if you get it early. That, that yeah. way, you know, if you get it when it's yeah. just on your skin, you're home free. Yeah, that's it's it. when it moves to your organs or moves inside your body, that's, that's what procrastination does. That's it. That's it. Um, uh, Holly Rowe, it's been such a pleasure having you uh, on our show today and such a pleasure getting to know you and spending time with you at the Cancer Support Community. We love having you as a friend of our organization. Um, I want to let our uh, uh, listeners know that if you are dealing with a cancer diagnosis, you do not have to face cancer alone. We have a whole host of, of in-person, online, and telephone support programs and education for you. We have 47 centers around the country for people with all cancers at any stage of disease and for their family members and loved ones. We have education, support 
support groups, exercise, nutrition. Uh, visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org to see a list of our centers, or you could call right now and talk to one of our counselors at 888 888- 793-9355. We appreciate you joining us today. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org.